Are you an EMDR therapist and parent who wants to make more money, have more time with your family, and get better results with your clients? Welcome to the Future Template Parent Podcast. I'm your host, Carolyn Solo, LCSW, EMDR consultant, business coach, and mom of three kids under seven. I realized that the grind of weekly sessions was taking a massive toll on my ability to be the kind of parent and therapist I wanted to be. So I dove headfirst into learning about intensives. I read all the books and articles and did all the trainings. Now I've transformed my schedule, my income, and my clinical outcomes by offering intensive EMDR in my practice. I want to teach you how to do this too, so you can build a practice you love and spend more quality time with your family. Let's create the future template for your life as a parent and as a therapist. Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 13 of the Future Template Parent Podcast. We are into the teens. That's so exciting. First of all, sorry that I missed you all last week as You parents and non-parents, too, probably understand the summer can be a bit of a wild time. We had vacations, I had some recording glitches, life happened. I am very committed to recording this podcast weekly. Last week was a bit of a blip, but hopefully we're back on to our weekly schedule. So thanks for your patience. I'm your host, Carolyn Solo, LCSW, EMDR consultant and mom of three daughters. Our last episode, episode 12, was about myth-busting, myths about offering intensives that often get in the way of EMDR therapists deciding to try offering intensives in their practice. So if you haven't listened to that one and you're feeling hesitant, or you have been feeling hesitant about offering intensives, uh, go ahead and listen to that, and hopefully you'll get some inspiration and maybe some courage to try an intensive. So in today's episode, I've decided to go a little bit more personal. Um, I'm going to be delving a bit deeper into the parent part of the title of the podcast, The Future Template Parent. Uh, One of the reasons I named the podcast Future Template Parent was because, you know, as EMDR therapists, we know all about the future prong in the three-pronged protocol, past, present, future. And in EMDR, when we have desensitized some experiences in the past and present, often what we do is we try to have the client envision what their future will look like now that they have worked through some of this disturbance in the past and present. And parents, I know we are all constantly in the process of trying to become a better parent, trying to envision that future template for who we are as a parent. And yeah, so I thought that title kind of brought all those things together, the EMDR and the parenting piece. Um, And today I'm really going to focus on the parent part, and I'm going to talk about my own personal experiences as a parent and um, what it's like to be an EMDR therapist as a parent, and also what it's like to be an EMDR therapist for parents when you're a parent. (laughs) Kind of a tongue twister. First of all, I kind of want to apologize to any parents that I worked with as a therapist before becoming a parent myself. I kind of shudder when I remember some of the things I said about parenting. Um, You know, everyone's a parenting expert before they become one. (laughs) Not to say that you cannot be an effective therapist to parents if you don't have children of your own, but also that it's a totally valid requirement for when you're choosing a therapist, if you want your therapist to be a parent. Certainly, all the therapists I've had since becoming a parent myself, that has been a requirement for me. But anyway, (laughs) in today's episode, first, I'm going to talk a little bit about the benefits I uh, see for me 
as a parent who's also an EMDR therapist. And of course, as you know, from what I talk about in this podcast, specifically as an EMDR intensive therapist, I'm mostly going to look at sort of structural and practical benefits um, as a parent of offering intensives, and maybe a little bit about some more big picture benefits. Um, But really, what I'm going to focus on mainly are some of the challenges of doing EMDR therapy when you're a parent. And this is really where it's going to get personal. Um, I feel like parenting triggers so many of our own unhealed wounds. And then when we're working with parents as a therapist ourselves, you know, as parents who are working through their own unhealed wounds, and then our clients are working through their unhealed stuff, right? It's just layer on layer of (laughs) trigger possibilities, right? Um, I'll talk a bit about how this has happened to me personally and some ways that I manage those triggers. So I hope you'll enjoy this much more personal episode. So first, talking a little bit about the benefits of being an EMDR therapist who is a parent. Mostly, like I said in the intro, this is about structural and practical benefits. If you've listened to previous episodes, you know that I really believe that offering intensives is the best way to make more money in less time while also getting better clinical outcomes for your clients. And I really believe all of this to be true. And then I feel like this just is so works so beautifully um, with some of our concerns that we have as parents. You know, who doesn't need to have more financial security, you know, making more money while also having more time and flexibility in our schedules? It's really a win-win. When you're offering an intensive, at least in the way that I structure them, which If you've been listening before, you will know that that is three, four-hour days over two weeks. When you do that, you are seeing way fewer clients, which means that it's so much easier to schedule them. Think about it. Like if I I try not to work more than three, max four clinical days in a week. So let's just say that two days are intensives, and then I have one day where I see my remaining hourly clients. You know, maybe I have three or four hourly clients. So that's a total of maybe five different people in a week that I'm seeing, it's so much easier to just reschedule five people than it is to reschedule, say, 20, 25 that you might have in a normal week of hourly clients. If you need or you want an entire day off, maybe you have kid doctor appointments, or there's a day off for school, or you want to be a chaperone on a field trip, or you just want a day off, it's really easy to reschedule a single person. If that day is one of your days that you're offering an intensive, just say, hey, this is not a day that I'm available. Let's find another day. And it's only one person as opposed to saying, oh my gosh, I have seven clients on that day. There's no way I could take that day off. It'll just be too much of a pain. And I haven't seen client, you know, my 9am client for two weeks. So I really can't cancel her. And you know, I know that my 2pm clients having a really hard time. So I don't want to cancel them. It gets difficult. (laughs) You know, I'm, I'm sure you've all been there. And then hey, if you want a week off, You just schedule nobody. You don't, you know, if if you were, so again, that example of if I had two intensive days and they were the same person, one person I'm not scheduling, maybe three weekly clients, four weekly clients, total five people that I'm like, well, just reschedule you. Um, And my hourly clients at this point are clients I've seen for years. I don't take new hourly clients. So it's often easier for me to reschedule them because they are much more, uh, you know, we have a very established rapport. And if I say, hey, you know, I'm not going to be able to meet this day because of this and this reason. They are, there's a lot more flexibility and leeway there. But yeah, it's with intensive, if you're only rescheduling one person, it's really easy, easy to schedule them later in the month. And you don't really see that loss of revenue as if you had lost like eight client sessions in a day. You know, if you get sick and you have to cancel at the last minute, or if a kid gets sick, we all know how that happens. Or you get the dreaded phone call from school. You need to pick your kid up because either they're sick or 
there was something that happened that's happened to me. I'm going to talk a bit more about my oldest child later in the episode. And, you know, sometimes we have to pick her up at school. So those things happen. Only having to cancel or reschedule one person can make that feel a lot more manageable. um, Those things that come up schedule wise when you have kids. So those are some of the benefits as I see them sort of structurally. And I think conceptually, and this is, or just sort of bigger picture, I'm not going to go into this in too much depth, but I do think that, you know, as therapists, we of course learn things from our clients, right? Like we all know that we learn things from our clients, whether it's, oh, there's a cool new restaurant (laughs) that I want to try because they told you about it, or um, a book that they're reading that's been really helpful for them. Or I've even had people say, hey, this TV show about X particular issue has been really helpful for me. Like, I think it might be something your other clients might find useful. Amazing. Similarly, as a parent, if I hear a parent client of mine say like, hey, there's this, like, well, hey, there's this cool exhibit at the museum that I liked, I may be like, oh, check, look that up for my kids. Or much more kind of bigger picture, like some new parenting technique that they've been trying or a new idea that's come to them about parenting or something that's worked really well for them. If those things come up in session and they register with me, connect with me, you know, I'm going to file that away. I'm not going to say, Hey, client, thank you so much for sharing about how this positive discipline technique has been working with your child. That's so helpful, because I'm going to use it on my child. And here's why, of course, like, it's not about, you know, self disclosure. We manage that so carefully. But I do think that we can gain like, insight into people's parenting lives. We do in ways that not many other people have. So you can get some sort of like, front row insight on things that are working for other people. And I think that's hugely beneficial. But yeah, onto the challenges, which is kind of the meatier stuff here, I would say. There are so many (laughs) challenges about when you're an EMDR therapist who works with parents and you are a parent yourself. But I'm going to talk about two categories. The first being hearing really painful and difficult and scary experiences that clients have had as children or that their children have had. And worrying about your own children's safety as a result. For me, it's usually hearing about experiences that my clients have had because I have a lot of clients who've had a lot of significant um, abuse in their history, particularly sexual abuse. So, you know, that can be really hard to hear about. So that's one category. And then the second category is doubting your own parenting of your own children when you hear what clients are sharing, whether about how they were parented or about how they parent. Clearly, both of these boil down to countertransference, right? Which is not avoidable ever, no matter what you may have learned in school. And in fact, countertransference is actually essential for good clinical work. It gives us so much information. It helps us, like, is that alarm bell in our head that's like, you need to pay attention to what's coming up for you, you as the therapist, so that you can manage, you know, you can work effectively with your client. Certainly, I have found that trying to ignore those feelings doesn't work. Um, The most valuable thing we can do is professionally and ethically um, acknowledge them and engage with them. You know, we have to be very self-aware as therapists. We need to, um, as social workers love to talk about use of self. So use of self is so key. And we just need to be careful and do what we need to do to deal with that kind of transference when it comes up so it doesn't impact our clients. And I'll talk about that a bit more at the end. So the first challenge, hearing the incredibly difficult and scary and traumatic things our clients or their children have gone through. So I work with a lot of clients with significant dissociation and with dissociative identity disorder. 
And we know that significant dissociation and DID come from severe childhood trauma, severe, extended, prolonged childhood trauma. Um, and like I said, for me, that usually my clients usually are sharing about sexual abuse. You know, I'm not going to talk specifically about any clients at all, but I have a couple of clients who have experienced pretty significant and in some cases, incredibly significant, like criminal, exploitative, child exploitation and pornography rings type stuff, abuse, sexual abuse, both in the context of religious communities. And this is incredibly difficult to hear. And of course, incredibly difficult and brave for them to share with me. So I honor that very much. People who are very dissociative often have very young child parts of self. And when I work with these clients with these sorts of histories, often they, you know, switch between parts of self in sessions. And often these very, very young parts of self come out, like they all of a sudden are acting like a much younger person in my office, their voice changes, their demeanor changes, their, you know, the tone of voice, the their voice gets higher, they use more childlike uh, vocabulary. And some of my clients aren't, when they come back to kind of their adult selves, don't have any have have dissociative amnesia. So they don't remember any of what might have transpired in the session between the child part and myself. And this is so hard. I mean, it's hard for the client because it's incredibly vulnerable. And of course, I do this in a very safe way. And I have a lot of training in this kind of work. It's not something you do willy nilly. Although sometimes you don't know you have a dissociative client until a child part all of a sudden pops out and you're like, whoa, so that happens. But um, even in instances where I'm working with someone who was abused as a child, and it isn't quite as pervasive as these clients I'm talking about. That's really frightening, too. Like I have a couple of clients who were abused by employees in their school. And they had very, very supportive, protective parents, involved parents, and these things still happened. And no matter how hard we try to protect our kiddos, like horrible things still happen. And that's really scary as a parent. It's something that we confront in our work as trauma therapists. And something that's particularly hard for me, and I would assume for other people as well, is that when the ages of our kids overlap with the ages of our clients when things happen to them or to the ages of their kids, you know, Uh, my kids are two, four and almost seven. And one of the clients I was alluding, actually, both of the clients I was alluding to earlier with the really severe trauma each have child parts that are around the age of my oldest child. And when that part comes out, it can feel like I'm talking in some ways to my own daughter. Like it sounds like a seven-year-old. The person acts like a seven-year-old. They have the fears of a seven-year-old. They have the life perspective of a seven-year-old. I have to work so hard to focus on this work with this client and not, you know, not give in to the voice in the back of my mind saying, what if this was happening to your kid? This could be your kid, you know? it can be really, really hard not to, to make that leap. And of course, to some degree, we're always going to have that in our minds, but we have to manage it. It's our job as the therapist to be present with the person in front of us and to manage that countertransference. But it's not easy, you know, it's really not easy. And then there's the challenge of questioning our own parenting when we hear about our clients' experiences. So this is where it's going to get really personal for me. Like I said, my oldest child is almost seven, and I've talked about her a bit before. It turns out she has a subtype of autism called PDA, which stands for, I prefer to call it persistent demand avoidance. I think the technical term is pathological demand avoidance, but I really hate pathological, so I prefer persistent. 
I'm not going to go into what that is, but if that's something that's of interest to you or your child, you resonate with that label, like, please reach out to me. I'd love to connect with you around that. But um, essentially, she's highly sensitive. She has a lot of sensory challenges. Um, She sort of was verbally delayed. She was sensory seeking, always really, really struggled with sleep. It took so long to get her to stop nursing. She still uses a pacifier. She really, um, and well, in some ways she did really well with the transition to school as far as we were concerned. But I think her school, when she was going into kindergarten last year, was a little bit surprised at um, some of the behaviors that showed up. We weren't that surprised because we honestly expected it was going to be harder. She liked school and that was a win. But um, she had been in a preschool that was very small and very nurturing. So a big thing about her is that she's not yet potty trained. Um, She's almost seven, going into first grade, and she is not yet potty trained. And we have worked on this, and we have worked on it. And this links to the the PDA diagnosis, the uh, persistent demand avoidance. But again, I'm not going to get into the weeds there. But um, we tried every Like last summer, before she started kindergarten, I was panicking about her not being potty trained. I was terrified that like she was going to be going into kindergarten. Everyone was going to make fun of her. Her teachers were going to despise her. She was going to be seen as the kid who poops in her pants, for lack of a more delicate term. And of course, I had this fear that I had failed her so deeply as a parent and that this was going to get like other people were going to think that about me. Well, guess what? It doesn't matter that I felt that way because my child was not ready and is not ready to do this. And I've had to make peace with that. And she goes to a public school, which was a choice we we would have made that anyway. But she couldn't go to a private school because a private school can say your kid's not potty trained. No, we don't. They can't come here, whereas a public school, you know, you have to take everyone um, and they, you have to accommodate them. And it's turned out quite well, except she's still not potty trained. But again, another story. And also something else that came up for me a lot with clients was that she really struggled with sleep. Um, with the first, I don't know, year and a half of her life, she only could sleep when she was on me, like her entire body was touching my body. Her, you know, chest was on my chest. So she was not safe sleeping, as you all might know about from the the infant days. She was not on her back. She was not in a separate sleep space. None of that. She was not the kind of kid who was going to be sleep trained, no matter what. And both of those areas, sleep training and potty training, are real, I would say, like third rail issues in parenting. Everyone has very strong feelings about them, is sure that their way is the right way. Not everyone, but a lot of people do. And you might be surprised, but that ends up coming up a lot with my clients. I work with a lot of uh, moms and moms who, you know, one, it could be hard for me to hear about that going really well for some of my clients and, and they're not recognizing that that wasn't the norm or perhaps them saying something judgmental about somebody else whose child was not, you know, matching the developmental milestones that their child was, or just, you know, hearing that maybe their child was having an easier time of it than mine, mine is. And, you know, it can be really, really hard. And yet at the same time, having this experience with my child of knowing what kind of a different path can look like, that also gives me a lot of empathy for parents who are walking that road with their neurodivergent kids. But you know, you don't know what you don't know. So if you're a parent who hasn't experienced those things with your child, it can be really hard to understand why a parent of an almost seven year old has not gotten their child to use the potty yet. (laughs) When you know, and my child is verbal, she doesn't have some of the immediately apparent external behaviors that some people might associate with autism. And so, you know, I've definitely gotten judged by parents when they hear that my kid isn't potty trained or when they notice that she's not. And that judgment 
is so, <laughs> I feel that so, so deeply. And I also feel the desire to protect my kids so deeply. So those defenses can get activated even by a client saying something. If any of these parenting issues particularly resonate with you, like I said, and you want to connect about just those, please reach out to me. You know, we parents who are parenting kids, we're not necessarily walking the walk that every other kid is. We need each other. We need to support each other. But um, that's just my own personal example of how we can question our own parenting when we hear our clients talking about their parenting. So what do we do, though, when this happens, right? Okay, I've explained what it is. What do we do? So in session, grounding, grounding, grounding. You just got to ground. And I have built up like a roster, not a roster, a toolkit, I should say, of tools I have at my disposal in session so I can do exactly that. I am a big fan of drinking like strongly scented, hot, hot, hot herbal tea in sessions, especially if I know it's a session that I'm going to feel a little challenged by. I'm always going to have my hot tea. If it's hot, it's going to keep me in the moment. If it has a very strong smell like citrus or mint, that smell will ground me. And the taste is going to be very strong. So that's going to ground me too. So that's touch, that's smell, that's taste, right? I have a few items in my office, like pictures that I have put in specific areas so I can see them while I'm still looking at my clients that I find very soothing and grounding. Like I have one that's of a field in Vermont with some cows and it's fall, but there's some snow on the mountaintops. I love Vermont. And it's a place, it's actually a painting of a place I know. So that is something I just like really notice, you know, the vivid colors. I notice the snow. I notice how it makes me feel the way to ground. I also have some worry stones in my office that sometimes that I keep a little basket of next to my chair so I can grab one of those if I need to. Of course, you know, a few mantras that I repeat to myself, like, you know, you're here now you know, you are here with this person, you know, I sort of connect with my body, I say you are safe. And I really try to say, okay, this is about the person in front of you. This is not about you. This is not about anything you're doing right or wrong as a parent. Let's connect with the relationship. Let's connect with this person's struggles. Right. And then of course, out of session, consultation, peer support, group consultation, something that happens in the social work field. And I don't know if this is something that other like LPCs, um, LMFTs also see happening is that a lot of us, when we finish our um, our licensure hours and the supervision for our licensure, stop getting consultation. Like I get it, consultation is expensive. Another reason why it's important to charge a rate that is comfortable for you, that gives you the resources to do things like get supervision. But supervision is so important. We need, our field is so isolating. And when we're feeling activated, when we're feeling this countertransference, when we're feeling challenged in these ways, we need it so much. Please, please, even if it's just that therapist bestie you have (laughs) who understands some of what you're going through and you can reach out when you need to. Even better, I think, honestly, is having some sort of paid consultation. Because even if if it's a friend who's a therapist, they're still a friend. And it's not necessarily the same kind of professional relationship that you can get from um, someone you pay for consultation. I personally get two hours of individual consultation a month. And then I have, and then I attend one peer supervision group a month. So, which is free, but the consultation, the the one-on-one consultation I pay for, and then the peer supervision is free. And both of those are so valuable to me and allow me to talk through some of this stuff, learn skills and feel like this work can be sustainable for me. When we work in isolation which so many of us as therapists do, that can be a recipe for burnout. If we don't talk to anybody about our work 
And it's just kind of in a little vacuum that no one knows about because we're not supposed to talk about our cases, right? I mean, we have confidentiality is so important. And of course, you don't, you know, divulge your client's entire history and consultation, but it is a, it is a approved professional environment in which you can get this kind of support. And so I really, really, really urge you to do that. And yeah, any kind of grounding and of course, self care, oh my gosh, like we need to have a sustainable rate that we charge that allows us to have some time to take care of ourselves, because this work is so heavy. And adding this parenting piece adds more heaviness sometimes. And if we don't have the time to go for a walk to, you know, get a coffee for ourselves to take a nap, if we need to, to go to the grocery store in the middle of the day, so we don't have to be rushing to do it after we pick up our kids. All these self care elements allow us to show up better for our clients, you know, be able to take a day off, all those things. So that's sort of the ways I recommend managing some of these things. Because they're never going to go away. We're always going to have these challenges, but it's our ethical and professional responsibility to manage them. It's not up to our clients to stop saying the things that trigger us, right? So today we talked about the benefits and challenges of being an EMDR therapist who's also a parent. Uh, I shared some really personal experiences in the interest of hoping, hopefully making other parents feel less alone. It really is so much Parenting as a trauma therapist and as a trauma therapist who works with other parents can just be like layer upon layer and upon layer of difficult stuff that can activate us. Please find support from peers, from ongoing supervision, consultation, self-care, grounding yourself in session. (laughs) Please don't muddle through all this alone. We really, really need each other and our clients need us to not be in this alone. So... Thanks so much for for listening today. Um, I love talking about this stuff. I would love to know if you have enjoyed kind of these personal insights, if you'd like me to share more of them. Check out my website, www.futuretemplateparent.com if you want to connect with me or are interested in working with me. Thank you so much for listening. And I can't wait to connect next week. Take good care, everyone. Have a great week. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Future Template Parent Podcast. I hope you've learned something that can help you move from feeling overwhelmed to energized about your practice and your personal life. You don't have to choose one over the other. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, and please share it with another EMDR therapist who would benefit from hearing this episode. Each review helps us get the message out about how offering EMDR intensives can liberate your practice. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast listening app so you don't miss a single episode. See you next week.